Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Welcome to another Inside Groove as we, this is our pre-Christmas Inside Groove show. Uh, so we get a chance to kind of be festive a little bit and talk about the Christmas holiday, but uh, kind of look ahead to 2020 at the same time. I'm Tom Baker. You probably know that by now. And joining me once again after about... Uh, Gosh, I don't know. It feels like he's been gone for years. Uh, Cam- <laughs> <laughs> Camden Proud is back in the USA. Can you believe it? Uh, welcome back, Cam. It's uh, good to have you back on the show again. And uh, now that you've gotten yet another Rick Springfield concert under your belt, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you, you, you now are ready to settle down for the holidays and see how the Bills do in the playoffs. I think I'm ready. I'm happy about the playoffs. I'm happy to be back in the States after a lot of a lot of good times in my travels and <laughs> kind of feel bad i've missed out on i think it's been two months the last time we talked was right after super dirt week so yeah. it's, it's really nice to be back on the podcast well it's uh, it's good to have you back man and uh ready to uh kick things off i think we're somewhere around episode 29 we'll uh, figure that out before we post it but um you've got uh certainly i'm sure some news i know that uh we're gonna have uh, we got two guests today, actually, other than yourself. We've got Jody London, who I spoke with uh, a short time ago. And Jody's, Jody and I actually uh, spent about 45 minutes together talking about promoting and talking about both the, um, the sport mod race and, the, and the, uh, the, of course, the super stock race uh, right. that he promotes Classic Weekend. Now, the, so I guess as good a place to start as any, as any is the sport mod race. Um, this is something new for the Speedway in recent times. They they obviously were always a part of the Race of Champions card. Um, but this is something that the Speedway has not tried for a number of years. And uh, I think this could be a very interesting play. Number one, I love the fact that the sport mods are coming back because there are a ton of them out there and they're a local class where you don't have to pull cars from hours and hours away. Um, And number two, I like the fact that it's July the 4th because it really adds something unique to a holiday weekend date. Used to, as you remember this, I'm sure, um, as I do, we used to have the Supers and the Modifieds about four times a year, and July 4th weekend was one of them. So we kind of get that back except it's the sport mods instead of the uh full-blown tour type mods right right um you know uh, i think this whole sport mod thing is going to work out really well from what i've heard so far any of the tracks around here that run that division whether it be lancaster there's kind of some uncertainty with spencer and shimon is, is off that weekend as well yeah so that's that's good uh we've heard from a lot of big names already jody has i think he told me 27 teams are interested already so far so that's a really good sign just after we put the announcement out and it's you know you're going to have heavy heavy hitters you're going to have people like Andy J and and hopefully Matt Hirschman and the Catalanos I think will all come for it so I think it's going to add to an already pretty jam-packed program on the fourth and 
I'm just excited to see that division back. It's been, I think, 2016 was the last time we had the race of champions. So this this will be, it'll be different, but I, I think it's going to be successful. Jody has done such a fantastic job with the Superstock race, and I give him a ton of credit, $20,000 and, and lap money and contingencies. That That's not easy to come by. And, not at and all. I'm sure he will do the same thing with the sportsman race. He's very, very dedicated and, passionate and works really hard so we're lucky that you know he reached out to a Sligo Speedway and, and we get to host this event yeah it should be fun I'm excited about that so that's coming up on July the 4th what else do we have uh going going on that's uh been happening over the course of the off season? what can you tell us honestly not a ton has been happening as far as the Sligo is concerned itself um you know the guys have just been working really hard behind the scenes to to piece the schedule together and we're getting really close we know we're going to have opening day on may 23rd we know it's going to be twin 50 champagne memorial tony white memorial the 350s will be a part of it we're we're looking at hopefully a, a couple super stock dates during the season including the the dave london memorial coming back on classic weekend so that's really exciting i think the the july 4th deal is going to be huge all the special events are going to come back of course mr super modified the grand prix twin 35s it'll all be on the schedule and you know a couple of exciting twists here and there i don't think it'll defer too much from what we've seen in recent years but it's it's a good schedule um a couple different concepts there that we're looking forward to announcing and i i don't think it'll be much more than a week and a half before we can really dive in and and talk about it and we'll have the schedule posted online but isma schedule came out today Okay, let's talk about the ISMA schedule. I know they're going back to Seekonk because uh, I saw that from a previous announcement that Seekonk had made, um, and I think that's a that's perfect because, again, the more New England shows they get, I think the better. That's kind of their home base right now, and I think that's the place where they have the chance to grow the car count back the easiest is in that area. So good to see Seekonk back. What else do we have? It's it's great to see Seekonk back. That'll actually be a non-points race. It's their 75th anniversary. It's the Boston Louis, so that's a that's a big deal. Those Wednesday night shows have worked out well for them in the past. Yes. And, and um, you know, I, I was talking to Howie Lane, who we're really excited to have back as president for 2020, and he's he's been talking with Seekonk quite a bit, and the promoter is very excited, very anxious to have the Super Modifieds back. So that's always a good thing. Um, as far as the schedule itself, I, I can just kind of run through the dates and the tracks, which was literally just posted on the website a matter of hours ago. So I'm not sure how many people have even seen it yet. We're working on a press release, but the season is, is going to open on June 27th at Monadnock in New Hampshire again. We lost that event to rain last year, and I, or this year, and I, I really hope we don't have to go through that again yeah, next year. Yeah, really? Wow. It's, uh, it, it's a great it's a great track there's there's good racing there it's close tight racing the the event we had there in 2018 was was fantastic it was one of the better races of the season so hopefully we can open the season there finally and it'll go off without a hitch but excited that Monadnock is back on the schedule july 11th the first of two canada trips will be at jacasa again for a 50 lapper and we don't even have to talk about how gorgeous that place is no and how lucky we are to have Isma a part of that. That place is just unbelievable. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of we have a track down here over uh over east of 
where I am here outside Charlotte called Carteret County, which is basically over on the beach and uh, just a show palace. And, and that's probably the closest thing that I know of in the States to Jucasa in terms of, you know, you go to a place and just are in awe of the facility itself. So I'm glad to see that the Supers are going back there. Me too. I'm actually familiar with that track. I, I kind of, I'm such a race chaser. I go through and, and look at different states and, and facilities and, and try to figure out, hey, if I'm here, where, where can I go? What tracks can I see? And that's actually one that's on my list. I think it's, I think it looks pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. So if I'm ever, if I'm ever down your way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, give me some advance notice and we'll go over there. That's a, it's yeah. a beautiful, beautiful facility. Um, okay, what else do we have? Sandusky, again, of course, to, to finish out July. July 24th and 25th, we'll have the Fast 40 on Friday night and the High Miler Nationals 100 lapper on Saturday the 25th. So it's we kind of get off to a slow start. It's, it's a late start at the end of June, only three races in July, but august there's there's some different stuff and it, it starts with lee on august 7th with the alley silver race 75 laps friday night and it is the the night before in a swiggo race we are going to have I, I think that'll actually be the old timers night on august 8th so okay. that's that's tricky for the swiggo teams but for the isma guys and the new england teams or maybe anybody from out in the midwest that wants to travel out and go to this race it kind of works out pretty well because August 7th is Lee and then August 12th is Seekonk. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot to do in New England. They'll be racing that entire weekend. There's, there's Bentleys, there's the museums. I yeah. mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff to see. So you I'm hoping can... that teams will stay for, for those five days and, and hit Seekonk. I was going to say, you could just hang out at Bentleys for five days and it would be you more, <laughs> more than enough entertainment for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's good to see that, uh, so they're Monadnock, Seekonk and Lee so far, um, in New England. What else we got? Well, after, after Seekonk, it, it kind of, <laughs> there's three New England races in, in August and I, part of me wishes they were all together, but it, it could be, like I said, it was, it could be a really nice road trip for for some of the Midwest guys or whoever, because you start with Lee, then Seekonk, and then three days later after Seekonk is the Delaware date on Saturday the 15th. Oh, in Canada. Wow. In Canada. So it'll be it'll be a 75-lapper there as well. So that's that's a busy that's a busy stretch there. It's three races in eight days, and hmm. two out of three within five days, and in New England. So maybe plan a New England road trip and, and go up to Canada on the way back home or or whatever the case might be, but that's it, it gets pretty busy in August right there. Yes, it does. Okay, and then? And then we finish out August on the 29th at Oxford, which is, it's really nice to be back Oxford there. Oxford Plains, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, 2014, I think it was the Bentley Warren race. I yes, think that was the race he race. drove for, yeah, he came back out of retirement and drove yep. for, uh, Vic uh, Miller and he and Pearly were teammates once again. I think uh, I think Bentley had okay. some sort of a mechanical, if I remember right, and didn't finish. But yeah, um, that was the race that uh, he came back and drove, and it's the last time he's driven. And I probably would imagine it would be the last. I don't think you'll see. <laughs> I, at this point, I don't think we get another Bentley comeback, even though we enjoy them when they happen. Um, yeah, but uh, that's good that they're back there. See again, they're basing in New England again, which I think. 
for Isma, I think that's probably a wise decision because you've got the 350 Supers out there, and if you run enough shows with the big blocks in that area, then you might entice some folks to come out and play again when they only had, you know, a couple, three scattered throughout the year and most of the rest of them were on the road. It was a different situation. So I think this might right. actually be a way for Isma to get that spark again that they desperately need to build the uh, build the participation back up again. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree with you for sure. I think it's I think it's great that you know we're kind of rolling into August with a bang with with the Boston Louie and we'll have already went to Monadnock and then it's it's pretty much New England from there on out with the exception of Delaware because it's Lee. Seacock, Oxford, and then, of course, in September, the Star Classic, and October, the World Series at Thompson. So it is very New England-based, and I think that that's really going to pay off for, for Isma and as far as car counts and stuff. And yes. like I said, I just I just talked to Howie. He's he's excited to be back, and he really just kind of wants to make it grow again, obviously. Um, maybe make a few adjustments that help, maybe entice some more cars to come. And he was... He sounded pretty excited, and it's it's nice to have him back and, and hear that he has a lot of ambition. So, um, yeah, I think Oxford's going to be great. September 19th, going to Star. It's, it's the 125-lap Bob Weber Senior Memorial Classic, and that's that's different because it was the Star Classic has gone from 200 to 150 to 125, so it's a bit shorter of a race. It's right. a different date. It's not the week after Labor Day anymore. They had to move it because oh. of New Hampshire. So that's that's different as well. So when is that date again? September the 19th. Oh, so it's actually uh, two, three weeks after the Classic then. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so that's that's different. Wow. Yeah, that will be different. And actually, I'm not sure that that isn't, again, I'm not sure that's not a change for the better because if you give the guys another week or two of time, to either you know rebuild or just relax after classic you might get some more participation that way from oswego that's my hope with it um i think that bobby weber from star just felt he had no choice but to change the date around because that's that's a huge weekend there in new hampshire the week prior they got the modifieds and no question that stuff going on there so um, I, I think it was the right call. It'll it'll be different. Hopefully, no fans go the week after Labor Day and just show up on a Saturday and hope to see <laughs> Isma there because they're not going to be there. So September nineteenth, it'll be different, but I think it might be for the better. Well, yes, I I think that could be an an interesting change because uh, that was a quick turnaround after the classic for sure. So now you sure give everybody is. a little longer time to kind of relax and regroup and then go out there and then uh, finish their season at Thompson a month later. Right. So that might actually help both of those shows, honestly. Uh, is there anything we missed that we haven't talk, touched on yet uh, that we can before uh, Christmas? Well, like I said, I don't think there's there's been too much big news. Um, just just getting the details ironed out for, for 2020. Registration will open on January 1st. Pit stalls, all that stuff. Commitment will come out. I think that the schedule is a week and a half away. I, I'm thinking it'll be after Christmas now for sure at this point, maybe in between Christmas and New Year. Sure, but that's fine. We'll have we'll have the, the schedule, laps, pricing, camping, season tickets, all that stuff out. It'll be it'll be all right around the same time. So it's all it's all coming soon. Um, 
driver announcements. I think you'll see a lot of that. I'm, I'm working on a couple different things. I talked to Allison, and we're going to have a future article about her coming out. Good. I know Todd Stoll is supposed to come back full-time, so that's That's great. That's, that's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, it, it really is. Yes. Came back and ran well, and to have another full-time competitor is, is huge. 100%. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm gl- It'll be great to have Todd back in that that I mean, he ran like a bullet with that car. I mean, that's that's a track championship potential effort there, in my sure opinion. Sure is, honestly. I agree. You know, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, lots of things uh, going on. Uh, uh, lots of rumors about cars being built for certain people. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Couple of uh, potential surprises here for 2020. So hopefully we'll. Uh, be able to announce some of that on the show in the coming few episodes, but uh, I think so. Looking, uh, looking like a big season of the Swigo, and, and I'm excited about that. And uh, good to have you back on the program. We've got uh, John Spencer coming up. We've got Jody London coming up. Uh, this is a, a thick show to sort of uh, go into Christmas with here, and. Um, so Camden, we appreciate you taking some time with us here and glad to have you back and look forward to seeing you uh over the holidays and yeah. uh yeah. hang out a little bit and um and uh plan for future shows. So uh uh we'll take a break. When we come back, we will talk with Canadian supermodified legend John Spencer. I can't wait for this interview i'm looking really forward to it and we're going to have it for you right after this stay with us everyone knows strut masters is the suspension experts for luxury vehicles and now we offer motorcycle products introducing easy rider complete motorcycle air suspension brought to you by strutmasters.com you can raise and lower your bike with the flip of a switch take those long rides with the ultimate comfort of easy rider air shocks they're backed by Strutmasters, and you won't believe the low price. Check out Easy Rider Motorcycle Air Suspension at strutmasters.com. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we continue with our pre-Christmas show. And, of course, you just heard from Strutmasters and want to acknowledge our other sponsors here on the Groove. Of course, uh, IPC Indy, Jeff West, and his uh, group out in uh indianapolis where i just was i wish i had had time to swing by i'd love to see uh the ipc indie shop hopefully next year during the pri show i'll be able to allow the time to do that uh but um definitely want to thank jeff and also of course uh skips fish fry sean cathcart and his staff are have been amazing to us and uh i can't wait to get to skips uh when i get into uh oswego this week um i'm sure i fly in tomorrow so i'm sure uh tomorrow being wednesday as i record this for you um and i'm sure that uh before friday or by friday <laughs> i'll have made my first uh fish trip to skips fish fry and uh also want to thank uh, rich worth and the folks at jns paving who i do hope to catch up with as well while i'm up there for the holiday vacation it is now time for our featured guest and man, I'm excited and honored to have John Spencer on the show today. John, of course, for those of you who are newer fans and maybe don't recall the uh, the 70s when I grew up going to the Speedway, John, one of our Canadian legends and was the first driver to win an Oswego Speedway feature with a rear engine car while he was driving for Doug Duncan. John, it is uh, a pleasure to have you on 
uh, Inside Groove, and I want to sort of start at the beginning with you because I was going back and doing some research, and if I've got this correct, you actually, you started noticing the Supers in the 60s over in Canada, and so unlike a lot of others who may have kind of started in some other kind of modified or stock car type division, you actually had your first at least look at the sport by watching Super Modifieds. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's quite true. Uh, actually, not in the 60s, but back in the 50s. Oh, we, see, uh, I'm trying to make you younger. <laughs> that, that would be good. <laughs> trying not to date you so much, John. <laughs> yeah, actually, back in uh, the mid '50s, oh wow, uh, the CNE Speedway was a was a pretty big deal for you know for Canadians. Uh, even back then, they ran a, a Friday night show at the CNE, and the CNE Grandstand held about oh I don't know twenty two thousand people, I think. Okay. And they used to, on a regular night, they used to get about, oh, I don't know, 10, 12,000 uh, wow. people used to come and, and watch the super modified races back then. And uh, so I, I got my first look of it at, back then. And uh, not only, you know, did we go whenever we could to the, to the CNE and watch the races, but they were also televised. Okay. Which was a, a huge deal for young people like me back in the back in the day to be able to watch that and and uh, kind of see some of your heroes of you know it's uh, Jimmy Howard and Ted Hogan and some of the others that uh, that ran back in those days wow that's awesome so that was your first taste of it when did you actually start racing well i i uh, back when i my first turn 16 i I bought a 1938 Ford was my first car. Oh. And, and, uh, you couldn't race at the, at the CNE at back in those days, unless you were 18 years old. So I drove, actually drove the car on the street for uh, a couple of years. And then I made it into a, what they call an amateur, uh, stock car back in the, in those days or the hobby class as it, okay. was, as it was called. And uh, I had to wait until uh, I had turned 18 before I could could race it. So it was actually the the summer of uh, 1961 that uh, that I first uh, ran the hobby car. Okay. And how long did you run that before you actually got into a super modified? Well, I I, I ran the the uh, hobby car in 1961. And I finished fifth in the point standings that year. And then if you finished in the top five, they wouldn't allow you to race in that division the following year. You had to sit out a year. Oh. So and I had to sit out in 1962. And then in 1963, I, uh, I bought another car, uh, a coupe. The first one I had was a, was a sedan. And then I bought a coupe. And uh, I raced it in 1963, and uh, I won the track championship with with that car. And had the I guess in 1962 I kind of dreamed of the idea of maybe building a super modified, and I I got some of the component parts, and we started thinking about putting a car together, but we didn't have any money back in those days oh, at all. And okay. To do 
produced that, it just went by the wayside. So I, I ended up running the hobby car for another year. Then how did you connect to the supermodifieds? Talk about uh, how that came about and uh, well, the transition. In, in uh, 1963, after I won the championship, I went and worked on a yacht for about eight months. Oh. <laughs> and and I, had, I had known Duncan. Uh, one of my heroes back in the in the early fifties was was Ted Hogan and and Jimmy Howard as I said, and uh, Duncan being uh, Ted Hogan's car builder oh, okay. back in the back in the day, I had met Duncan a, a couple of times during that uh, time frame, and then when I worked on on the yacht, Paul Flynn, who I ended up working with at Canadian Canopy, he, him and his brother Omar. Barry Flynn also worked on on the car with Duncan, and okay. when I was working on the yacht, Paul Flynn and and Duncan actually started building a rear engine car back in uh, 1963-64. And unfortunately, he gave up on that concept, and uh, the car got shelved. And then we, when I came back from working on the yacht. Uh, we we actually built an upright car in 1964 to uh, and Joe Haluka drove it. Oh, so you were basically uh, when you first kind of hooked up with Doug Duncan, you were you were a crew member at that point for Joe Haluka. Yeah, I was I was part, one of the builders, and I did that did that in uh, we built the '64 car, and then we built another car in 1965, which was extremely fast and probably one of the best supers that uh, was around in those days uh, Joe won a, won a lot of races with the 65 car and I uh, in 1966 after that season was over a friend of mine approached me and asked me if I would build a funny car for him and <laughs> at the to- at the time I didn't know anything about drag racing at all but I thought it might be fun and so Duncan said, well, why don't you go and do it? You know, you'll kind of have some fun doing it. And uh, if, if I was going to build it in the shop where Duncan and I worked. So uh, because I was building it there, any any time I had things that I needed to discuss, I could discuss them with Duncan and uh, sure. then I would go and, and complete the car. So it, it, was a, it was a funny concept because of the thing about it. I, I wanted, they wanted to build a car because in those days you built them high and you had to have, they kept telling me that you had to have weight transfers so you had to have the front end go up and the back end go down and that's what made them go. Well, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I said, well, why don't you build it like you build a super? Build it the chassis and put the weight where you want it and uh, go and race it that way. But I got shot down, so we ended oh. up building a, a big high Chevy <laughs> 2. <laughs> And then partway through the year, in uh, the year we raced back there in 66, the uh, Logie Stamping came out with a, with a the concept exactly like I'd suggested with the you know, tubular frame and put okay. the weight and everything where you want it. And hence the evolution of <laughs> funny cars completely changed and went in a different direction. But uh, wow. back in the day, I didn't know any better. Well, but it was it must have been, you know, I think about kind of how the world was back in those times. Now, I wasn't born yet, so I'm kind of remembering by things I've read and things I've heard. But, you know, you think about how the world was and, and, and how racing must have been in those days. Um, 
and you got a chance not only to to work on a super and kind of help build a super, but you build a funny car and you worked on a yacht. I mean, that's kind of from a from a knowledge standpoint, mechanically and kind of engineering wise. Um, you know, I'm sure that was not only challenging and stimulating, but um, also helpful for things that you would do in your future. Correct. Oh, very, very much so. Yeah. I mean, uh, super modifieds back when, you know, when they, uh, when they, while well, all along, when they've started, have been all about innovation and, you know, anybody that can come up with a, an idea that's, you know, superior to the, what was going on in the past. I mean, that's what it was all about. And that, that's what made supers so interesting for so many people because right. it was a, a run what you brung type of division. And back in those days, there wasn't any limitations to what you can do. Right. So however your, however your mind went and whatever innovation you could come up with was something that you could run. Where and, were and you? many of, of the sorry, ideas but... that have come along, you know, came from people, you know, just because they were innovative and, and coming up with new stuff all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Where were you racing the supers in Canada back then. What tracks were the big tracks in the mid sixties? Well, that point? back in the, as I say, in the fifties up until nineteen sixty two, they ran at the, they ran about five tracks. The the, the main ones were were uh, Bridgeport, Nilestown, Delaware, then Flamborough came along in the CNE, and then Pinecrest. So you had okay. about, about six tracks that you could run all within a. A hundred mile radius. Interesting. Okay, because I so know when, that the supers in Canada seem to sort of. It, it was almost like they get big, then kind of go away a little bit. They get big, then kind of. It was it was an ebb and flow. It seemed like over there, through the sixties and even the seventies. Um, and of course, now you know you don't really have any. Well, it was it was there. There was a lot of back and forth. Because I think. The super modifieds kind of took a, ba- a bit of a back seat because when the CNE Speedway went from super modifieds, they in 1963 uh, they went or 64 they went to late models. Okay. So they were actually running stock cars uh, starting in 63 at the CNE, and the supers were out. So the the supers had to go to the other tracks. They had to go to Delaware and to to Flamborough. The mid '60s, you were basically running uh, some sometimes at, at Nilestown, but you had Delaware, uh, Flamborough, and Oswego were the were the local ones, and Sandusky, okay. obviously, and and some of the you know the Ohio tracks, but they were the main ones that that the Canadian uh, went to. When did you first? Do you remember when you first went to Oswego and what your first impression was? Uh, I, I guess it, the first, first time we took the, must've been in 1965, uh, with the 23 car that Haluka was driving. I don't, I don't remember going in, in 64 with, with all of, we might, we might've gone, but we were just impressed. I, I think that the first thing that, that strikes you is the size. Because yeah. We're, we're so used to running on a, you know, the, the tracks, you know, here a quarter or third mile and that sure. was it. I mean, there wasn't, wasn't anything bigger than that. So to, to me, it, the Oswego seemed, seemed huge, but 
I don't think I ever really thought about it being that big until I got into a super. And actually got on the track and drove, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then it, I mean, I had, I had only run a, a super at, at uh, you know, Flamborough was the only place I'd ever run before I'd gone to Oswego. And uh, when I first got there, I didn't think the straightaway would ever end. <laughs> I've, so, had, I've had multiple drivers tell me that, that, that the first yeah. impression was. Well, it's quite a shot. I mean, if you, if you haven't run on a, on a larger track, I, I mean, it's not a big deal once you get used to right. it. But the very first time that you're there, it's uh, it's a pretty rude awakening to, to realize, how, you know, because you're running a lot faster there, too. So the back straightaway, because it's kind of D-shaped, I mean, you look pretty good down there. Oh it's, yeah, uh, it, it, it's very different than than running on a short track. It's not your grandpa's racetrack, that's for sure. Um, you know, <laughs> you, sure, you, yeah. if you can run well at a swiggo, you are a driver. Uh, well, we we've always said that that, uh, and that was one of the challenges and something that we always felt running a super that if we could run well there, because it was so challenging that you could you could actually run well at just about any other track yeah. that you went to. And I think I think Oswego drivers have over the years have kind of proven that, that uh, if you uh, formed your racing background at Oswego, most other tracks don't seem quite as challenging, right. uh, you know, when you get yep. there. Yep, exactly. Now, how long, did, how long did the arrangement remain that Joe was driving for Doug and you were you were accruing because i'll be honest i don't think i was aware that that was ever the case but but when i sort of pieced together your career as a whole now especially the last stint where you were with joe now that sort of that makes even more sense now that it was kind of all one big family to start with um how long did that go on before you got in the car well in in 1966 when i was building the funny car Duncan uh, built a roadster, and I did do some work on it, but not an awful lot. But they were never very happy with that car, and it it just didn't uh, run the way they wanted it to. So in 1967, he decided to build another upright. They sold the the roadster to uh, Don Fleming, okay, and uh, Duncan decided to build another upright car, which I worked on with them. And uh, Joe drove that in 1967, and at the end of the 1967 season, I bought the car from Doug, and uh, ah. I built my, I built, uh, well, I changed, I changed the car a bit, and I and I uh, put my own motor in it too. So I was working at a Ford dealer at the time, so I ended up powering it with a with a small block Ford. Okay. And that's the car that I ran in the 1968 season. And did you go to Oswego with that car? Yeah, the, the first, as I say, the, the first night out, I ran that car at, at uh, Flamborough. Okay. And the following night, I went to Oswego. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got one race in at the small track. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was even a little more challenging when I got there. Uh, Warren Conian thought it would be pretty funny. And he was teasing me about running there. So as I was going down the front straightaway in practice, uh, Warren decided he would run into me. <laughs> so he ran in. He ran into the back of the car, and uh, 
I, I can't remember if it was Norm Bacon or, or uh, Clyde Rowley at the time, but they weren't very happy at Warren threw the flag at them. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, That's funny. But, so yeah, they you, were they were interesting times. Oh, they well, and see that's the thing. Now, I didn't start going until 73 because I wasn't born until 67, but but I mean I I I've heard enough uh about the the late 60s. I mean, that was I think when the super modified division really started to escalate because you started to see uh you know the Gibson Flintstone Flyer, you started seeing more of uh, the X Indy cars, um, you know, it it kind of took a turn away, slowly, albeit, but away from the upright style and more toward what it was going to become. But in there, you had Swifty with a rear engine car. Of course, you guys eventually brought yours out. Um, you know, those were the the last couple of years of the '60s. If you look at them and you relate them to what was to come in the 70s, for example, you know, you had Jimmy Champagne starting to really kind of get, you know, get his footing. It was, uh, they must have been some amazing years to be in competition at Oswego, let alone be a fan there. Oh, they, they certainly were. I mean, the, the innovation that came along, I mean, and as you say, it, it started with, you know, with uh, some of the competitors purchasing old indie roadsters, right, and uh, modifying them to to become, and there was uh, you know other innovative things that came along. There were several attempts at uh, rear engine cars before we we actually built uh, ours. Right, none that ran ter- terribly successfully, but but they were still there. I mean, Jimmy Howard tried his in in uh, nineteen sixty eight. And ended up being me as for rookie of the year, which I was always very disappointed. About. <laughs> <laughs> I told him many times, and I never thought it was fair that your childhood hero should be judged rookie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's a, you know that must have been an interesting uh, time for you because you know as you say, he was your childhood hero, and it's one thing to get to race with him, but then to lose out. A rookie of the year award that yeah that must have messed with your mind a little bit like how does this happen? Um, but to yes, we, we he was a rookie. We did tease each other a little bit about that, but he didn't give me the trophy though. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he was sympathetic, but not enough to hand it over to you. That's right. Yeah, that's funny. Well, they, again, I mean, you know, it was such a magic time. Now, it, obviously, somewhere in there. You got together with Doug. How long did you run your own car before that happened? Because I had thought somewhere in between the time you actually ran a year for Haluka. Is is that true or not? Well, no. Well, I I ran for I ran a couple of races for Joe, but not the, the reason. It was a, a different reason that I ended up running for him, and he was running uh, the Joya car. Well, he was running for Lawless the lawless Chevy he ran okay. it for and quite successfully in that car. And, uh, I don't remember. Can I, I think he was running for lawless then. And, and we were, we were actually, I had stopped racing the super at the end of the 68 season and had gone back to working on the, on the uh, rear engine car with, uh, with the boys and, and Duncan. So okay. there was Duncan and, and, 
Paul and Barry Flynn and myself were the, were the four that were working on the car. And it was still in the, at that particular point was going to be for Holuka. And, uh, some, at some point during the, the season, Joe, Joe got kind of ticked off that the car wasn't finished and it wasn't ready. And so he, I, I think at that time he started running for, uh, uh, Steve Joya. Okay. And, uh, he wasn't, wasn't interested in, in, at that time in running the rear engine car. So I got the nod to, uh, to drive it. Interesting. What was that like the first couple times out with the rear engine car as compared to the car that you were driving? Well, I mean, it, it was a little bit different in the, I mean, if you're used to an upright car to be in a car that's down much lower, uh, was a, a little bit of a, of, of a change just from a feel standpoint. But other, other than that, uh, you know, after I had run the car for, you know, a couple of weeks, I, I felt very much at home in it. Plus, it, you know, the inside of it and everything was tailored to me. So ah, okay. I felt very comfortable in the car. And, how, and that, that particular car, I, uh, I always said, was a little bit ahead of its time. When Duncan laid that out initially, he laid it out with a cantilever front suspension, which is a, wow. like a, with the sh- a shocks on the inside, yeah. like, like all cars are today. But, but back then, nobody was doing that. I mean, it, that was a kind of an unusual concept. And when when I was making the arms for it, the upper control arms and stuff for that thing with the, the cantilever thing to operate the shocks and springs, I was always impressed with that front end and, and the way the car drove. I always felt that that 1969 car was was a better design. Well, actually, the 70 car because we moved the radiators from the front or the radiator from the front on the initial 69 car to the rear on the 70 car and it made a big difference in, in moving that little bit around. But the, the car was, I thought handled better than, uh, any of our later, uh, chassis. I thought it was a better, uh, better car. That's interesting. So you, and I think it was, was it in 70 that you actually won the feature? I think it was, was it not? Yeah, it was, uh, June, uh, 20th, I think it was, yeah. of, of 1970 that uh, that we won with the first time. We'd had a couple of really good finishes with with the previous car, with the 69 car. Uh, it ran second two or three times, which, you know, we just didn't have enough. The car never had enough horsepower. That was that was the big downfall with it. It, it handled extremely well, but we just need a little bit of oomph because we brought it out at a time when the big blocks were just coming out. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and the, okay. And the small blocks didn't have quite the punch it needed. It almost but it still all, all in all was a pretty good car. Yeah, it seemed. I mean, I, I, I my memory of it wasn't. It was kind of post you driving it. I think it was. Gosh, I want to say Mike Cronin, maybe. Um, that name. We, we sold. We sold the car to to him in. Uh, yes. Okay. Nineteen seventy-two. Yeah. So I think because uh, he was running it, I think in seventy-three when I started going, and I, 
you know, it had the mirrors on it and it was, I mean, it was a really interesting car and, you know, there were still a lot of rear engines back then. And I was always intrigued by, by the rear engine cars just, you know, because I wasn't really a, a gearhead per se. I, I wasn't and still am not really very mechanical, but I understand a lot more now than I used to. Um, but, you know, you always kind of looked at the differences in the design between the rear engine cars you know, from one to another. And, you know, some people were trying more bodywork, some less bodywork. Um, you know, it was, it, 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 some were much shorter wheelbase than others. It was really fascinating to kind of look at how people, you know, built the cars and, and how they, and your car was the only one, um, you know, Todd's was obviously very fast, uh, you know, but, but seemed, to not be durable for whatever reason um and and the same with jeff bodine that year that he ran the the x indy rear engine car it seemed like you know he he would be fast but you know a lot of uh, like overheating problems motor problems but you guys seem to figure out how to get yours to work and it it had to be an interesting time to in 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 the evolution of the overall super modified for you to be almost one step ahead of that in a way with, with the rear engine car. Well, I think, I think back then we probably, we were, I mean, uh, we, we hashed over a lot of the concepts that we tried and decided, you know, whether they would work, whether the, our, our biggest problem with, with all of the cars that we ran and, you know, with Duncan was that we didn't have any money. I mean, we were, we ran all of those cars on a shoestring. I mean, Duncan uh-huh. was a mechanic and you know, he put every cent that he had into his race car. I mean, that was, that was the end all be all for him. That's what he wanted to do. And that's what he did. And he lived to race. Wow. So everything that you did, you know, when you run on a shoestring like that often as a lot of people noticed, we sat out a lot too. I mean, if we broke something, something major, then we just didn't have the wherewithal to replace that part quickly right. and bounce back the following week. It just didn't happen. And in some some instances, unfortunately, I mean, Duncan played pretty tight to the vest and never really told everybody, you know, that he didn't have the money to buy the part. Right. And that happened, you know, on a couple of occasions where, you know, Omar bailed him out and uh, we Kenny Andrews put me in. Uh, at Delaware and uh, we broke the rear end and we sat out for about six weeks waiting for the rear end to come and he kept saying well you know Halibrand's making it but it never arrived it never arrived (laughs) we couldn't understand why and finally uh, Barry found out that Doug didn't have the money to pay for it so Uh, he gave gave him the money for the rear end and we put it back in time to come back just before the classic wow but but those were the, were the kind of things that happen and happen to all racers that, sure. uh, you know, live, live, work on a shoestring. I mean, you you want to do this so badly that, you know, you hope that you have the financing to, to carry it through week to week, but sometimes you don't. Well, it's that, w- that was true, and of course it's still true today. And here, But here's what's most interesting to me when I hear you talk about that, and then I think about the fact that, because I read through a lot of the old 70s programs a lot. That was my era, right. and I enjoy kind of going back and 
I think it keeps my memory sharper, and plus, obviously, it helps with things like this. Um, but I remember, you know, we used to have, like, a bad night in Oswego back in the 70s with 30 cars. So when you think about how many times somebody like yourselves would have to miss a week, and yet there'd still be 30 cars there, it makes you really appreciate just how deep and how big the super modified division was at that time that you could have three or four guys out because, well, for whatever reason, just fixing from crashes or waiting on parts or whatever, um, and still have 30 plus car fields. And now you can't even, you can't hit 30 cars when your, your regular field is all healthy. You know, it's just, no, it makes a, you really appreciate right. that day and in the, in the era in the, in the, in the division. Oh, very much so. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, super modified racing, because of the technical aspects of it and, and the way, you know, times have changed with the development of the cars, right. the cost factor is just oh, increased yeah. exponentially yeah. over the, you know, over time, you know, to the point now where it just gets to the point where the, the, your average guy just can't afford it. I mean, if you don't have right. backing of some yeah. kind or have a pretty good business, you just can't do it. You went, uh, you had the rear engine car for a couple of years and then, uh, Doug built, then you built the roadster that, that you ran in, in kind of the, we'll call it the mid seventies, I guess. Um, talk about what was, did, did you guys just decide that ultimately you thought you'd gone as far as you could with what you had with the rear engine car? Or did you just decide that maybe rear engine cars weren't going to be the way to go? We'll go back to a roadster or what was well, kind of... I, I don't think we, we ever gave up on the, the rear engine cart. <laughs> I think for all of us, we still think that that's the way to go and, uh, and would love to have, have continued that. I, I suppose going to the roadster was probably more me than anybody else. Okay. I, you know, I, I was at that, that point where I, I loved the rear engine car. I thought that, that that was the, the way to go. And, uh, but, because of just what I was saying about sitting out from, from week to week, that, that aspect of it really, really bothered me. Like the fact that I, I couldn't go and, and run for a full season. Uh, I, I felt that the rear engine car and, and our financial situation was such that I, we couldn't run week to week with that car and without, you know, having problems that cost money. So if you, if you broke something on that car, if you ripped a front wheel off or a rear wheel off, lots of times that happened uh, and did more damage to that car than it would to to a roadster. I see. Okay. I mean, with it with it with a straight axle and a and a, a live axle on the back, where if you hit something, your chances of of damaging it other than a wheel or maybe a couple of, of heim rod ends or something like that. Whereas in the rear engine car, when, when you crashed it, I mean, you ripped up a half shaft, you ripped the A arms off, you know, you smashed the wheel. It broke a lot more parts. I than, see. Okay. You know what, you know, what we could afford to, you know, to replace on a, on a weekly basis. And because the financial situation was such we really couldn't run really good parts in our driveline back in back in those days unless you had a lot of money all of those rear driveline parts were custom made and and they were very expensive 
so what we had done on the rear engine car is we had we used a Detroit joint on the back, which is is basically the front joint on a what nineteen thirty five Ford. Oh wow! <laughs> drive shaft. That that's what the what the universal joint is. It's a Detroit joint that that used to allow the drive shaft to move up and down. So that's what we had. Uh, for U-joints in the back of that car. Now, they were all well and good and worked fine, providing we didn't have a lot of horsepower. Because if you, if you put a lot of horsepower in the car, you would break that, that joint. So I see, we okay. Check check those joints every week. And if they needed to be replaced, we'd, we would replace them. But that was one of the downsides of that type of car. On, on Bill Height's rear engine cars and stuff, they had similar issues, but he went to the the rubberized joint that they used on the English cars, and uh, it, the, it, it, it allowed the rear end to, to slip and to, to move, but it was just a big chunk of rubber, and the driveline bolted to that. So again, you couldn't have a, a car that had a lot of horsepower using that type of, of joint. I see. Okay. So that so the, it was more of the particular... Uh, parts that you needed to run to make the rear engine car work that made it costlier and kind of more of a pain than than a roadster would be pretty pretty much yeah i mean like even today and you know with a if, if you were to build a rear engine car and you were to build a super today there, there would be basically no difference in the cost of, of the parts for those two cars. Right. I mean, they, it wouldn't cost you any more to build a rear engine car than it would a roadster. And and the fact that uh, Oswego had banned the, the car was bowing to pressure from most owners who felt that uh, if you switched from the uh, radically offset roadsters that they were using at the time... Yeah to a rear engine car, like Champagne's car, but everybody's car would be up. So, and, and to some extent that, I mean, it just scared the hell out of, out of owners. See, that's and they exactly also, what... They also felt that there were only a handful of people that understood them and could make them work. Now, today, with the, the way that it's evolved, all, all of the chassis are basically built by a handful of people Right and 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 they're all basically the same. So if you can understand one, you can understand the other one as well because there's not an awful lot of difference between them. See, that's what you, it's interesting that you kind of get down that road because we I've talked repeatedly about that that decision to ban the rear engine cars when they did, and it it seemed as though that was pretty much just panic button. It was. It wasn't, I don't think it was well thought through, to be honest. And and I, I've always said, Jimmy built a rear engine car that seemed pretty much as simple as the rest of the cars that were out there. He kind of found a way to to, to not make it overly complicated, and, and it didn't cost any more than the cars that were out there. And I didn't feel like, okay, Conium had that tremendous drive in the Classic, and they based that decision on that particular and you had cars dropping out and, and guys' tires were going away. Like, I feel like that was a drastic overreaction. Now, in the long run, whether or not, you know, it, it, it was better that, that, that we kind of stuck to one, one style, 
could be a different question in my mind, but I just really have always looked at that. And, and look, again, I, I will say to you, Jimmy was my guy. He was my hero growing up. Um, so I'm not going to say that I'm not in some ways biased, but looking at it objectively, it just seemed like it was based on one because Jimmy had, I mean, he'd won a race, but it wasn't as if he'd shown other evidence that it was, you know, half a second or more quicker. And Warren really wasn't all that much faster in that race, except when he was coming out with, you know, full fuel load or whatever. And, and like I said, as the race went on, but I just feel like that was an interesting comment that you made about that, um, that I think there was a period like with the four wheel drives or whatever, although Freddie Graves would tell you that he wasn't, you know, any kind of an engineer per se. And, you know, and, and he managed to maintain the car just fine, but it seemed like when it got to Jimmy's, it was kind of like, this isn't really a whole lot different. It's the motors, the back and, you know, and it runs really fast, but I, I wasn't sure that you would need to go out and build a rear engine car to keep up with that rear engine car going forward. What, I mean, would you agree or disagree with that? Well, I, I, I obviously, you know, didn't uh, agree with them banning rear engine cars. I mean, I, I don't think that that should have happened. Yeah. I, I understand why they did because right. when, when I ran the rear engine car, I I explained that same scenario to to other owners and drivers many many times, and and every time they would say to me, well, I, I say, you know, you can build a car exactly the same as ours, doesn't cost won't cost you any more money than cost what you've got now, and they'd always say to me, but you understand it, and and they were afraid of it, like they didn't really feel that that they understood enough about independent suspension and how it worked. But, you know, like anything else, if, if you adopt it and you decide that that's what you're going to do, they would learn. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they're, they're learning it's, today. I was going to say, I it's mean, no different than having to learn all it, of the aero tech, you know, engineering. No, that's right. I mean, that that's exactly it. I mean, it, it, there's a learning curve to all of those things. Right. And once you, once you understand uh, the, the basics of what makes it work, it's really not all that complicated. Right. Yeah. I mean, to, it, today, with, you know, uh, suspension systems become, you know, probably a little more complicated because they're a little more involved. But, right. I mean, the basics of how they work are all, all the same. You just have very, you know, different variations of it. Well, I getting back but, to the, the mid-70s a little bit, I want to kind of go back to the Roadster time for you there because, boy, I can remember in 74 and even 75 particularly for you, those two seasons, you had nights where I can remember one race with you and Johnny Logan. I swear you swapped the lead 10 times back and forth. Um, and it might've been a bigger race. Uh, if I don't know, I don't remember if it was a special or not, but it, it was, I just, and, and I think Johnny ended, I think Johnny Logan ended up beating you in that race, if I'm not mistaken, but it was, I just remember the two of you back and forth, back and forth. And you had some really great races in that car. And those, those couple of years there, the competition was so thick you just never knew from night to night who was going to pull off the win i had to i have to imagine 
that that those must have been really fun years for you. Yeah, they're, they're, those were uh, were pretty good years, and I I mean with the with the roadster we had we had some horsepower we had a you know a pretty good handling car and you know consequently we had some pretty good shows in that car yeah. plus it wasn't as fragile so we didn't get get wrecked as much right that race you're talking about with with johnny logan i remember very well <laughs> talk about it i'd love the, to hear your perspective of that well that that race was i mean it was as you say it was a you know it was a back and forth battle between us and what really got me, I mean, I was still kind of young and, and learning and, uh, Logan had been around for a long time. And in the last lap, I, I pulled up on the inside of him and, uh, he cranked the wheel on me like he was going to run into me. And I oh. foolishly backed off a little. He spooked you. <laughs> uh, he did. He, he sucked me right out of my shoes, and I was not very happy about it. And after the race, I went over to him when he was getting the checkered flag, and I said, you got me this time, but it'll never happen again. <laughs> what was his reaction to that? Did he just laugh? He just laughed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the mind games racers play, right? That's that's exactly. interesting. I've heard a number of those stories over the years in the sport in general, not just you know supers, but you hear about a driver who, in one way or another, just spooked. And and it's it, that there is so much of the, the 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 game that's mental. And when you're young, you know you haven't learned that yet, and so it's only through those experiences, like you had with Johnny. Oh, okay. Well, all right. I lost this one, but he won't get me with that trick next time. You know. Um, no, you you build you build those up in the old memory bank and store them away. But you but know, you never ever n- never forget them. No, no, never forget them. And 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 like I said, I just that race stands out in my mind as one of those races that I'll just never forget that back and forth battle that the two of you had, and you know. It was, again, in those years, you had a, a great number of Canadians. So you had sort of that Canadian-American, I don't want to call it a rivalry, but it kind of was. Um, and you used to have the fastest Canadian and fastest American qualifier awards at Classic. I mean, what a magic time in 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 Oswego's history and in the history of the division as well with all of that that participation and it those were really i think it was slowly after that 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 you know the canadian part of it slowly started to go away a little bit um after those years but um when i when i think about the legends who were in the sport at that time racing on those nights um what what a magic time that was from a fan's point of view and again i had to believe i have to believe just a whole lot of fun because even the atmosphere was different back then it seemed like you guys were all friends like you would go out and you would race hard and i'm sure that you know you you had your issue with this one or issue with that one over over time or whatever um but after the races (laughs) you know it just seemed like everybody was having a great time in the pits i used to come over and get all your autographs every week it just seemed like it was a a really fun kind of camaraderie amongst the competitors and the teams at that time. Oh, it, it very much was. I think probably uh, back in those days, 
more so, way more so even than today. I mean, everybody was was a friend. Uh, you know, Kempton Dates and Warren Coney and myself yes. and Gord Hutton, we used to always put on a corn roast uh, during the season. We did it for about four years where we, at, after the races were over, we'd have a corn roast out in front of the grandstand. Oh, wow. And and everybody came to that thing. I, I mean, all the all the drivers and crews and I, I mean, it was absolutely magical to, to you know, for everybody to get together. Yeah. And, and uh, they were really good times. And then Joe Paino would reciprocate, and he would have a clam bake out at his uh, cottage. Okay. And we would do that later in the season, too. But but the between the, the group of people that raced then, I mean, if you needed something, you could get it from any one of the other competitors. I mean, everybody helped each other out. And uh, as you say, they, you know, when the races were over, we might be ticked off at somebody. I mean, they might take you out or you know, run into yeah. you. But you know, by the by the time the night was over, I mean, you're all back. In the early days, we used to get paid under the grandstand, and everybody would meet there. You would have a have a beer and and wait to get paid. And they were wonderful times because all the teams were there. Yeah. And then you would kind of break up from that and, and uh, go out. Usually a lot of us would go out and meet and, and go out to a club somewhere. Right. And there were there were a lot of options in us. We'd go for that. <laughs> well, there still are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's some, of, some have come and some have gone, but there's still a lot of yeah, options there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah no, never a lack for that. Uh, but but okay, and you so you started '76 with Duncan, and then if I remember right, I think you got hurt, and Gary Albritton jumped in the car, and that was it. Was there more to it than that, or it was just kind of how it worked out? Well, I got, back uh, in, I can't remember uh, what the exact date was, but the early part of the 1976 season. Uh, I was in a in a crash coming out of the second turn. I, I to this day I don't know what happened. I, I mean we have theories of what happened, but the the left rear just dug in coming out of the second turn and turned the car sideways. And I went oh, wow out out in front of uh, Ron Matson and he hit me dead on and went up over top of me and flipped down the back straightaway. And when he hit me, broke my shoulder. So. Ooh. Uh, I was going to be out for uh, a few weeks, and Duncan said, well, you know, you're going to be out for a few weeks. Who do you want to put in the car? And I said, you know, all Britain's done a really good job and the other things he's been in, so let's put him in and see see what he does. So we, we put Gary in the car, and the first night that he ran, it, the car didn't work worth a damn. So... I went down into the corners and watched the car for a few laps. And then I, I came back and uh, I made some changes to the car. I had Duncan make some changes to the car. Gary went out and ran half a second faster. And Duncan says to me, well, why didn't you do that when you were in the car? I said, well, I've never seen it run before. So I could, you know, know, tell you what, you know, what to do to it. So that, that was the the beginning of, of Gary driving and, uh, they go, we got the car working pretty good, and after he'd been in it for about three races, and I was ready to come back, uh, both Barry and, and uh, Duncan decided that they wanted to keep, you know, Gary in the car. And I said, well, 
if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. So maybe it was at, at, at that point where it was time for me to step aside. I mean, Duncan and I were very close and, and had been for quite a few years, but you know, in all relationships like that, you know, there comes a time when, you know, maybe it's just time to move on. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that's what happened. Well, then you came back with, um, Dave McKnight in 77 with the six car and, uh, that was a Kemp Dates chassis and you ran that for a little while. Talk about, uh, that period, uh, with, with Dave. Well, that was, that was kind of a difficult period after my, my, uh, split with Duncan, uh, McKnight came to me and didn't think the whole process was very fair and asked me if I'd be interested in, you know, in building a car. And, uh, I said, well, you know, Kemp, we've talked about it. And he said, well, I, I'm thinking about buying a Kemp and H chassis. And I said, well, you know, it's a, it's a good chassis. And, you know, Kemp and I were friends. So he, we ended up buying the chassis and then I made some, some modifications to it. And over that winter, I, I pretty well by myself, uh, built that car and I was burning both ends of the candle and it, I did, by the time we started racing that thing, I mean, I was absolutely exhausted. You know, I, I worked all day and then I worked on that car until about one o'clock in the morning uh. every day. And, uh, Kemp pulled me aside, you know, at his shop one morning and he said, you got to stop this. He says, you can't, you just can't, you know, do that and, and race the car too. And I said, well, what, what am I going to do? You know, <laughs> if yeah. I want to race, that's the way it was. And then the, the crew got to the point where, you know, they, they, Conium was available back then and they wanted Conium to drive the car and they were talking to McKnight saying, well, you know, we got to, you know, put Conium in the car. And he kept saying to me, well, you're not being aggressive enough. So, and he wanted me to be more aggressive as a driver. And I said, that's not my style. I mean, I just don't run that way. So one night I went out and, and I ran as hard as I could and I stuck my nose in where it shouldn't have been and got it taken off. I said, well, there's your uh, aggressive driving and that's what it gets you. So we had a big argument over that and, and we ended up, uh, he fired me and parted ways. Oh boy. <laughs> it, it wasn't a pretty breakup. Well, that happens, right? <laughs> I mean, occasionally that happens. And I, I mean, I was, I was mad and I, I said, well, I'm going to sue you. You're going to pay me for my time for working on the car. Cause we had, a, we had a verbal contract that, uh, I would drive the car for one year and then Davey Jr. was supposed to take over the oh, car. Okay. That was the arrangement we had made. And uh, he didn't live up to his end of the bargain, so I took him to court. Oh, interesting. And, wow. Yeah. But, you know, the, the silly part with that whole thing is Dave and I are still friends. I mean, we were mad at each other at the time, but I, I have to give a lot of credit to him. When I came back out the following year in uh, uh, Haluka's car after we rebuilt it, he was the first guy to come over to me and congratulate me. And the night that uh, I, we brought that car out, I, I beat Conium with it. I think I finished third and he finished fourth or something like that okay. the opening night. And McKnight was the first guy to come over to the car and say, you know, you did a hell of a job tonight. And I always appreciated that. And I, a few years later, I saw him at uh, at uh, Cayuga, and he had tried his hand at driving himself. 
and he came over to me and he said, you know, it's uh, a different view through the windshield, isn't it? Said, yes, it is. <laughs> Did he actually drive the Super or was it a late model? Because I know he had a late no, model. No, he drove a late model. Okay. Yeah. 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 You, well, yeah. And, and it is it, it is interesting because when I look back, um, again, you, you sort of see situations come and go. I mean, there was there was the deal with you and and McKnight and and then ended up you got back together with Haluka and and you as you say you and McKnight eventually were still and Conium took over for you and I know you two were always good friends and so then we had a similar dynamic later on when Warren was driving for Clyde for a couple of years, the early eighties. And then Clyde and Jimmy got together and Jimmy and Warren were good friends. And, you know, and, and so then Warren goes to drive for Duncan. It's kind of, you have sort of the business side and then the friendship side. And if you can manage to avoid letting business interfere with the friendship, um, well, like, you know, I think in, in, in a lot of those instances, I mean, with, with McKnight and Warren and I, I mean, Warren was well aware of what was going on with that. And before he told McKnight he'd drive the car, he came to me and we talked about it. And he asked me if I was okay with it. Cool. And I, and I said, you know, certainly, you know, I mean, they want another driver in the car. You come to that point in the road where they they're not happy with you. And by all means, I mean, if the thing is open and it's a good deal for you, then go ahead. Yeah, exactly. And, and, that, and that's what he did. Well, and so you know, no hard feelings. We're still good friends. Well, that's great. <laughs> and of course, well, and, and I mean, I guess you can't argue with the way it all worked out for them, right? I mean, no. but is that is that somewhat sort of bittersweet for you when you kind of look at that and you say, "Well, gosh, that you know." I mean, he goes and wins the classic and the track championship in the car. I mean, do, do you kind of look back at that and and, and wince a little bit, or uh, not? Not at the not at the time. I don't think I did. I, I you know, I mean, as, as I say, I mean, we were we were friends then. We're yeah. still friends today, and uh, I mean, I was happy to see the car do well. I put my heart and soul into making that thing and and uh they didn't make an awful lot of changes to the car when uh you know when warren got in it yeah but they had a dedicated group of people that were working on it and sure. uh trying to make it better and you know i could i have done the same thing if if the circumstances had been different i i mean i don't know i mean hindsight's 2020 sure. you can second guess yourself forever but, right uh you know, I think in in racing, a, a lot of it, I mean, you have to have a good car. You have to have some talent. Most of all, you have to have some luck. Yeah. And, you know, in, in racing, I was never terribly lucky. I mean, I came up short many times in things that I would contribute to luck. I always thought that I, I had some talent, you know, maybe not as much as some other people. I'm certainly not comparing, you know, myself to some other people, but right. you know, you, you do the best with what you've got. And, uh, I certainly don't begrudge anybody that, you know, if they can get more out of something, fine, you know, all, all power to them. That's a great way to look at it. Um, and you, you kind of wound your career down with, uh, with Joe, what it, that was interesting to me because it, 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 from what I understand, that was the the car that you brought out in, I think it was 78, the blue 23 was 
the old was that the old 06 that Joe had rebuilt? Well, get the old 06 was uh, I, I don't know whether you recall, but I drove that car for him in 1971 when he first brought it out. Okay, that was before my time. Okay, in 1971, Joe Joe built that car, and uh, we had uh, the rear engine car wasn't ready. And I, I can't remember whether it wasn't ready or we'd crashed and we were waiting for parts or something. But okay. anyway, Joe came and said, the 06 is just about ready. Will you drive it? And I said, okay. So we ran it. I think we, I don't remember how many nights I ran it, but the second night that I ran it, we, we uh, were coming out of the second turn and Bob Seelman made a right-hand turn on me when I was passing him. And I went over his wheel and flipped the thing twice sideways and then end over end twice, and the car caught fire. I remember a, seeing pictures of that. I thought Joe was driving it then. It was you? Yeah, no, it was, oh, a, wow. it was a very I didn't exciting. That. It was a very exciting night. It was, a, night. it was the first race that I brought my wife to. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> that, very well. that was a good idea, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we we uh, we had totally destroyed the car, and uh, we bent the roll bar heads inches on that car. So we had to fix all of that and fix the car. And they said that's it for that car; it'll never be back. And we had it ready for the following week. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, we, it was a lot of burning the midnight oil. I bet. Goodness. But but then a, a couple of weeks car was ready again and, and uh, off we went. Joe started driving the car himself and when they were finished uh, with that car Joe couldn't, you know, didn't run it anymore. He just parked it in his garage and it sat there until 1977 when after I'd parked ways with McKnight I said to Joe, I said, well why don't we you know, resurrect that thing and we'll make a radical offset roadster out of it. So he decided that we'd give it a shot so that's what we did over the course of the winter joe and i converted it into a an offset roadster wow and uh the first night we brought that we brought it out i said well, there's the week before the classic or classic weekend and joe had uh had some i, I don't, can't remember whether he had his i think he had his had had his heart attack his first heart attack the weekend before the classic a week before the classic. Oh my! And so there was just me, and I didn't have a crew. So I used his wife and his daughter, and my wife and my daughter. They were my crew. All girl, all girl picker. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a it was a pretty interesting weekend. Our first night out with that car. Oh my! Well, you but, uh, you had a little bit of success with it. I mean, it, and you were. You were pretty strong, it seems like, early on in the run with that car. You had some really good finishes with it. Yeah, the, the 1979 season, we uh, we ran very well with that car. I mean, we, the only downside with that car is with the other cars that we were racing against back in 1979, there was no horsepower restrictions back then. You could right. have any, any size engine you wanted. Right. You know, even even aluminum uh, big block ships were were allowed back then, and uh, we were really lacking horsepower in that car. We just didn't 
everything, every gain you made with that car had, had to be made on uh, on handling. Okay. Because we just didn't have didn't have the horsepower to keep up with. I mean, some of those cars, Freddie Graves' car, when uh, Bentley was driving, and I mean, that that thing was about 500 and, I don't know, 80 cubic inches or something, and, and on all aluminum big block, and it made horsepower like there was no tomorrow. I remember Warren Conium one night getting into that car in practice, and I was I always followed Warren, too. And and Warren, I remember him getting in it, and in the night he got in it, um, at some point, the it rained out. I mean, he had practiced it. We got practice in, and maybe it rained the rest of the night or whatever it was. But he and I remember him saying in the program there was a quote in the program the following week where he had said that um, you know he 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 said, "Man, that car really had horsepower, and I really wanted to drive it. You know, I was really looking forward to racing it because of that." Um, but it seemed like the at that time the car would just you know it was it it almost seemed like whether it was over horsepowered for the way it was handling at that point or whatever but it always seemed to be you know like it, it wanted to push in the corner um but when when that car was on that was a fast car and a gorgeous looking super too the cam 2 uh paint job of the flames and all of that that was a beautiful car yeah it was was a nice looking car yeah ben, bentley drove that thing one night with he the, did well, yeah he drove, it, drove it more than one night but one particular night, he drove it and drove me right into the fourth turn wall. Oops. <laughs> well. <laughs> I, got, I always remember Jim Cheney saying saying something to me. Bentley had, had cracked uh, to uh, Cheney that uh, Bentley kept saying, I don't think Spencer likes me. And Cheney said, well, what do you expect? You ran him into the wall. Jeez. Well, he says, I didn't mean to. <laughs> but that, that, as you say, was, was the problem with that car. I, you know, when, when Bentley came out of the corner in that car, I mean, it pushed right to the wall. And you couldn't, if you kept your toe in it, you couldn't stop it. I mean, it just, that's what it did. The, right. the, it had so much power. It just powered the thing right out to the wall. And if there was anybody between you and the wall, too bad. <laughs> yeah. Beep beep. And I, uh, I was in the too bad place. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But uh, but you hit like I said, you had some good runs with that car. Um, I mean, and did you and Joe? I'm sure you kind of enjoyed at least the chance to go racing together again. If not, uh, obviously, being a little bit frustrated, oh, yeah, I mean, it was, not being it able was to wonderful. win. I, I mean, Joe and I got along well, and uh, the. I mean, we we didn't have a lot, in, you know, in the car. I mean, we did the best with what we had, but he was a, he was fun to work with. And you know, once he uh, got past his heart issues, you know, that particular year, we did pretty well. The only the only downside when I was running that car was, you know, the classic, uh, which always I was always upset about because we we had the car working fairly well in the classic, and at the last minute. Uh, Joe decided to make some adjustments to the chassis, thinking oh, make it a little bit faster. And unfortunately, it, it didn't make it any faster, and the car was bicycling. So it was lifting the left rear wheel the track when I was you know, going into the corner. Oh, boy. And the sad part about that was that I took champagne. Yeah, out, yeah. Uh, you know, because of that. And Jimmy came over to me after we crashed, and he says, I can't believe he says that you ran into me. He says, <laughs> he says you never spin the car out. <laughs> I said, well, 
something happened. I'm not sure what, because at that point, I didn't know that Joe had adjusted on the chassis. Oh. And when, I went, when I went back into the pits and uh, Joe said to me, I'm sorry, you know, he said, I, I made some adjustments, you know, before you went out. And he said, I should have told you. Oh, hindsight. Yeah. That's that's kind of always one of those things too, like I you know, when I, I talked to Doug Havron on an earlier show and, and Doug and I were always friends and um you know, Doug Doug's career sort of has that 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 little asterisk of he's now a trivia question, who was the driver who spun and, and rolled over at Daytona that, with the, that, that caused the caution that allowed Petty to get his 200th win. Um, you know, and it's kind of, you're in that similar place where, you know, um, that, that 79 classic, uh, you know, because it's kind of like, who knows what a battle that could have been between Jimmy and Warren, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, it, I mean, again, racing is racing, and that that kind of stuff is a part of it. Um, you know, it, it was it kind of the was it was it how did I mean you never really said I'm retired, I don't think, or at least I don't recall hearing any official announcement. But you just kind of stopped racing. It seemed like. Well, and I, I, as I say, with the, the thing with spinning out in yeah. front of Jimmy was was not the one song I wanted to yeah. in my career. <laughs> but the, the problem was, you know, with the racing, I mean, we were, I was at that point that I had to make some decisions back then. I had just uh, retired from being a mechanic ah, and I'd gone okay. to work for, for uh, Paul and Barry in their uh, canopy business and they had just bought a windshield business for making boat windshields. Okay. And they had asked me if I would run that operation for them and uh, to, to taking on that job which meant I had to move from Toronto to Barrie to their shop and uh, I, I was so busy back then I was, I was in Winnipeg getting everything for the move and then I was setting up a brand new building in, a, in an office and everything in Barrie so it was, it was a pretty hectic time and I didn't think I could, could set that up and, and uh, race at the same time seeing as I didn't know anything about the windshield business Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. So the fo- the focus just changed basically, and then at that point, well, uh, yeah, it did. I, I mean, I was still interested in racing. I, you know, I still went, but I uh, I just stopped the driving part. Plus, you know, like everybody in in their career, you you devote so much to that, and I lived to race. I yeah. mean, I, everything yeah. I did, I my home life was pretty pathetic because I spent most of my time in a race car shop working on the car when I, you know, and my wife and my daughter were playing. So it, it wasn't fair to them. And it was just that time in my life where I had to, had to move on and start thinking about something else. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember, uh, I think Paige Reynolds ran the 23 a time or two. And I think Tim Nelson yep. also, was that still when Joe owned it or did that get sold at some point? No, I, get, I don't think he ran that particular car. Uh, Paige ran at uh, 23, but it was a, uh, a height car. Well, I remember the rear engine. I was thinking he got into uh, into Joe's at one point. Maybe it was just Timmy that I'm thinking of, because I thought that's how Tim no, actually Tim, started. No, Timmy Nelson drove it. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, maybe it was just For Timmy a while after, yeah. after I got out of it. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I think that was Gary Morton's first car, wasn't it, eventually? 
Joe, recall. trying to think. I, I want to say I think Joe sold it to uh, to Gary, um, and and then it ended up. Gosh, I think maybe Ray Halsey or Troy Halsey uh, no, was the last. I, I, yeah, I can't remember. Off, yeah, I was just trying to kind of remember the history. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but, I, I don't. I really don't know where it went after. But you had a overall. I mean, you had a pretty, uh, pretty colorful career and got to do a lot of uh, a lot of things. I mean, and and, and I feel like um, I feel like being the first to win with a rear engine car certainly was a, a significant accomplishment. Um, were there any particular? Are there? Is there a memory or two? I mean, obviously that would be one of them. Is there a memory or 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 two of other races that you either did well in or actually won that you? that sort of stand out in your mind, things that stand out uh, when you look back? I, I don't think so any more than, uh, than the win at Oswego. I mean, it, as a driver, when you start, I mean, to win there was just, I mean, it, it's such an accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, I running well there always, you know, was really important to me. We had a, a couple of places where we ran that uh, I, I really thought that I could win and couldn't. I, we, I don't know. Back in the in those days, we ran Sharon Speedway. I don't think we only ran in there Ohio, once. Yeah. And uh, then they turned it back to dirt. Okay. But when when we ran there, I I chased the one of Heights rear engine cars. I can't remember who was driving it at the time, but I chased him for the full hundred laps. Wow. And I, I couldn't I couldn't get by him. I you know I was right on his bumper, and then he pull away. He pulled about five or six car lengths on me around the corner yeah and i'd close up to him again the following lap and we did that for a hundred laps oh my it was the most most frustrating race I've ever <laughs> and i came back in afterwards and duncan says well why didn't you just run into him and push him out of the way and i said i couldn't do that you know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Not really the right way to win, but you see, no, sadly today you see it an awful lot. Uh, and I, you know, it's sort of, I always kind of, you know, when I see a driver dump somebody or spin somebody to win, it's like, you know, okay, well, I'm not sure how much talent that actually takes, but okay. Um, you know, I always admire the ones that either they want it clean or they don't want it at all. You know, I mean, I kind of get no, it in but... some ways because you're paid to race a car at the national level. So I guess you have... But especially at the short track level, it's like, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> but, well, I mean, yeah. that's it. You know, and, and for people that think that that's the way to win, you know, and you, you can always point out and you say, well, you know, how many times have you seen Champagne run into somebody? Right. In order well, I remember. Or Swift. I right. Mean, Swift yeah. Like well, I remember Lancaster one time, and I don't remember who was leading, but Jimmy passed him on the white flag lap, but he, he kind of bumped him when he was going by him. And he, he slid up and let him back by and finished second. And I think it was, gosh, I don't remember who it was. It, it might have been Roy, but somebody, whoever the announcer was, you know, would tell, well, you know, what did you, why did you do that? And Jimmy said, if I, if, if, if I have to bump the leader out of the way to win the race, I'd rather run second. I mean, that was, you know, that was a, that was how much class the man had. I mean, you know, yeah. if you couldn't do it right, I don't want it. You know, it's a tainted trophy at that point. You know. you know, there's some, something to be said and to be admired in, in that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, John, you—I mean, this has been fun to sit back and and talk with you and to hear, 
your perspective and and uh, to to fill in some gaps, certainly a little bit for me, um, you know, as a as a five year old or a six year old, which is kind of what I was when you when when you were really um, rocking the roadster there in the mid seventies, and you know, you you sort of see things from the fans' point of view, but you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. So these interviews for me are a blast because it gives me a chance to you know, to, to learn about what was going on, you know, in the garage or in the pits or, you know, whatever. And, uh, uh, I really, really appreciate your graciousness here and, and the opportunity to sit down and, and have this conversation with you. And, um, you know, I, I've said this to, uh, all of the drivers that I've interviewed who I consider the, the legends, the drivers who were, who were running when, when I was growing up, um, you know, I don't think, you know, when you're, when you're doing something, you don't always understand the impact that it has. You're just doing it. But for a whole generation of us fans, you and Warren and Kenny and Jimmy and all those guys of that, that era, um, just all of the blood and the sweat and the tears that you put into that made our childhood or our, you know, that period for us. I mean, that was... I will never forget those years, and like I said, I love going through the old programs and um, you know, and reading through them, and 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 just kind of reminding myself of those days. Uh, and so, you know, thank you for all of the time that you put in, and all of the 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 your life that you gave to to uh, to helping make it fun for us on Saturday nights, because it certainly was uh, a magic time. Certainly, when you were uh, when you were driving. Well, thank you. It certainly was a. Uh a very pleasant time for all of us, although we may not have thought so at the time. We certainly enjoyed doing it, and I don't think any one of us would change one minute of it for anything. It was uh, a pretty magical time, as you say, and uh, we get to relive it every day when we hash it over. And as Schrader says, we, the older we get, the faster we were. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. And that, yeah, there's there's a guy right there who's a trip, Kenny Schrader, uh, <laughs> much like Bentley. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, John, thank you so much for the time that you spent. We really appreciate you being on Inside Groove here and, uh, and, and sharing your story with us. Uh, we hope that you and your family continue to be well, and uh, hopefully we'll get to do this again sometime down the road. Well, thank you, Tom. It's, it's been a pleasure. Well, that is Johnny Spencer, and we're going to be back with more of Inside Groove. we got Jody London on deck to talk about the upcoming Sport Mod race uh, at the Oswego Speedway right after this. Stick around. Hi, Grandma. Can Nina come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. I promise, Grandma. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we continue for another show getting closer and closer to Christmas and New Year's and that means that uh, we are focusing on 2020 a bit uh, as well with this show and one of the neat things I think anyway one of the neater things that's happening at the Oswego Speedway in 2020 is the return of the sport modifieds to the fast five eighths of a mile something that we have not seen since the race of champions 
was coming to town on a yearly basis, and uh, the gentleman who is responsible for that, Jody London, is on the program now. And uh, Jody, you have become a really big part of what the Oswego Speedway is doing um, on a yearly basis going forward here. First, we had the street stock race, which was quite successful, I would say, on Classic Weekend last year. And now uh, you're jumping into it with uh, bringing the sport mods to Oswego Speedway. Talk about how that race has developed. What gave you the idea that you thought it would be cool to bring sport mods back to Oswego? Because I love it. So, so that thank you for that wonderful introduction, by the way. Uh, basically, I was doing my father's memorial race for about, oh, I want to say yeah, about, what was 2014? I, I, I forget the numbers, but I, I'm going to say six about years that. or so. so. Yeah. So five, six years. We'll just, yeah. So we'll say this after about, you know, during the sixth year of me doing my dad's race. I'm at other tracks and I, I just started hearing guys saying, aren't you doing, you know, why don't you do a sport mod race? I'm like, why would I want to do a sport mod race? Was like, you do everything else that, you know, you do you do a lot for your dad's race, why don't you do it for sport mod? I'm like, you guys got a lot. You guys already got, like, big races going on. We got the George Decker down at Holland. We got the Paul shootout at Perry. You got, you know, you guys got big races. You got the U.S. Open yeah. at Lancaster, and now you got the Joe Riley race at Lancaster. You guys, you guys got big races. You don't, you know, no. What do you, what do you want? What do you need another one for? Like, so I didn't, I didn't think of that at the time. And then just, you know, I remember in this in 2014, I, you know, I put on a, a kart race, and it was something I, you know, and I know, you know, go karts like, oh, it's just go kart racing, but I've never done a full event all on my own by myself, and just wanted to really try right. something fully different, you know. And I did it, and it turned out to be the big, biggest uh, showing for for that season of karts and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, well, that was that was neat. And I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I can do it, but man, that's just another headache I don't, don't want to deal with. But, you know, as time wore on, you know, I I want to say I can deal with the stress a lot easier. Like after you have one, one, one episode of stress, uh, one like mental breakdown of stress and stuff like that, everything else after that is really easy. Like, oh, you know, that's not as bad as it was. Right. <laughs> so... So, you know, so, you know, everyone still kept asking, you know, this, this, and, you know, for me to do sport mods. I'm like, eh, no, 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 I got, I got, you know, I'm, I'm good with my race, you know, I'm good with the DLM. And I kept with it. And then, you know, I was at Oswego this year and I'm like, man, you just hear, you just hear the guys talk. And not just, you know, the, the super stock guys were just so excited and so happy to be at that, you know, back, especially at Classic, like. They they just sat there and like man the feeling it's all back all all the the goosebumps and just being there and I'm just standing there and like mm, man I had a lot of guys and I'm like you know I remember a lot of guys just bugging me throughout the year like man we just want to be back at Oswego you know a lot and a lot of the sport my guys that come for the wheel and modified tourists they were there I'm like now we just want to be back here and I'm like mm. so you know I, I I said hey guys what about this you know and that's how Wow, that's just <laughs> that's just how happened. I mean, hopefully my uh, I I didn't. Hopefully I 
I want to say I, I did a good enough job to prove what hopefully I could bring to the table for them to trust me enough to listen to my ideas, and apparently it worked enough. So they, you know, they like, you know, they like the idea, and then all of a sudden the ball got rolling, and I'm like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> so here, here we are now with the uh, a full-blown you know, sport modified event coming you know, July 4th at Oswego. Well, it's pretty amazing, honestly. I mean, I th- I think that it is anyway, and I think that um, it brings something different to the Speedway when you can uh, bring a, a class like the Sport Mods to the track and, and put them in a situation where, I mean, not just for... Uh, a race of champions type event, but actually put them in a position to um, be in front of the super modified crowd and to entertain the super modified crowd, much like the street stocks on or super stocks on classic weekend. The sport mods on Fourth of July weekend is a big stage for them, and instantly, I would think becomes one of the biggest races of their season which i think is awesome i think it's uh, great to give a you know a class that that yeah i know they're kind of the first modified class in the state now because you don't have any tracks running the full-blown tour type modifieds on a weekly basis so the sport mods have kind of taken that number one seat but um this gives them a much different stage and and I think gets them in front of some new fans and gives them a chance to put on a show um at a place that's neutral where they don't normally race every week. Yeah, I mean it it was it was the most logical choice to, you know, when I had the idea and it was just hmm, where 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 would you want to go? Like, you know, way way a long time ago. Back, you know, even before I pitched the idea to us, we was like, well, where would you hold it in my my biggest, you know, my biggest thought to myself was, you know, I don't want to, I, I would not want, you know, my a, a big race to be held at where, where someone has an advantage. That's why I absolutely loved, you know, what my dad's race being at Oswego. Sure. You know, it was such a neutral site because no one has, you know, no one has set foot on the track since 2016 right. in a super stock. And I'm like, this is perfect. You know, guys have not been there, you know. A lot has changed since then, you know, with cars, and it's so much more competitive. You know, throw can throw out the book you had then, and now now it's the same situation. Sport mod, it's going to be, you know, it's a neutral site. No one really has a, you know, no one has an advantage. I mean, the only guys that would have an advantage is the wheel and mod guys now. But you might get a couple, if a couple of them, maybe. I mean, you you might get the Catalanos there. Sure. But, you know, yeah, I know it's a lot different between, you know, the mod, I know the handling is a lot different. A tour, a tour mod and a sport mod, you know, two extra barrels on the, on the, on the motor, you know, it pulls you down in the straightaways pretty hard. So, I mean, it's, I want a neutral site and, you know, Oswego is Oswego. It's the holy grail for everyone. It's still, you, you, you just say, you know, you just say the words like, hey man, I just want Oswego. Like, you want an Oswego. And, you know, why not? They, there was a race. They had a race back way back in 2011. I was a part of it. It was ironically July 4th weekend. I think it was actually July 4th. And they had a sport mod race, and it was just a regular, just you know, hey, you know, we just want to try something, right? And then, and I think they had, I want to say, 16 to almost 20 sport mods that showed up there. 
Okay. Just on a, hey, you know, let's try this. And, you know, they had a, a great pull that day and it was, you know, amazing. But then, you know, I was with NYSS helping them at a, a race at Adirondack Speedway and they brought the sport mods and no one's raced at Adirondack and gee, well, sport mod wise, they haven't done it in almost 10 years to that point. And, you know, the per- the purse was an okay paying purse. But it wasn't, you know, on a Fourth of July weekend. Wasn't right. anything to say, like, oh, hey, let's go somewhere. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get there, and they had twenty-one sport mods there for that race. And I kind of said, oh, wow. And I'm like, man, no, you know, why not, you know, utilize the July Fourth weekend because people have big races all the time. The dirt side does it. Why can't asphalt? So, well, and see, that's kind of always been my thought too. Is the speedway? In my opinion, yes, it's a super modified track. And, you know, I understand that the the fan base, at least the sort of top-end demographic of the fan base, has always been super modified oriented. But the modifieds have been a, a type of car that everybody has liked since the 70s. I mean, it's always been tradition that the modifieds when i was first when i first started going to the track they would come you know three four times a year you'd have your port city double header you'd have your your july double header you'd have sometimes uh like a summer championship double header and then you'd have the classic and you'd have the modified 200 the night before and that was you looked forward to those double headers now Obviously, we've got uh, the modified tour now on Classic Saturday. So to have the sport mods come in, um, which to me is a division, I've loved it since it started. And I think it's done its its proper job of taking folks like some of the younger generation Catalanos and, you know, drivers like Tyler Ripkema and some of the other guys and been able to give them their start and then kind of let them get the experience so they can move up to the uh, the tour-type cars, the bigger cars. Um, it's, to me, this is perfect. I think the Speedway doing this type of thing makes total sense, and I'd be willing to bet that you draw 20 to 25 of those cars. I bet you you will for that for that race. I feel very confident that it could pull very well. And that and that's the plan. We, you know, we're gonna, gonna, you know, promote it hard, and you know, we're gonna get, you know, work really hard on getting the guys a really good payday because you know, we work, you know, the group for you know the DLM. We work really hard to you know give them a, a great payday. The super so, stocks, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're not gonna, you know, obviously, you know, I'm not gonna be shy and you no know, working for the sport mods to get them, you know, a great payday as well. Well, and, to know, me, this works great. And this could even be a good double for a sponsor if somebody wanted to get involved and sponsor both of these races. They're both going to get a lot of attention, and they're both very big races at Oswego. This could be an opportunity for uh, some sponsors to to really get some you know some strength in the Oswego area and in that that market, um, but also to be a part of both big races. Um, you know, I would think that um, that there would be some good opportunity for the right companies. 
Yeah, you, you can because it's different. You're in a whole different market when you go into the, right. you know, sport mods and the open wheels. It's a whole. I've realized it's there are two. There are a lot of different markets when you each division you deal with. Right. The markets are completely different when you're dealing with sponsors. A lot of them, you know, you know, I talk to them. They want to help, but they just tell me. Okay, it's a super stock. It doesn't help with what we're doing. In, right. You know, most businesses I talk to are fabrication businesses and you know, and um, manufacturing businesses, which are almost the same thing. But them and people that deal with you no know, more open wheel and stuff like that, and it's it's tough to like really sell them on the super stock stuff. Right. Versus with the sport mods, you can be like, hey, this is your wheelhouse look what it'll do for you. It will be perfect. You know, just, and, and they, most of, you know, I think it will be easier for me to sell it because I've been, <laughs> been having to, you know, sell the super stocks for so long to, have, you know, companies that aren't really, I want to say based towards the super stock right. teams versus, you know, now, now I'm, now I'm selling you something that can more fiscally help you than anything else. So, I really feel that, you know. Well, also, too, you've got some history behind you. I mean, what you pulled off last year, Classic Friday, was really, really incredible. You and your team, um, I mean, you brought doggone near 50 cars to, you know, to the Speedway, which, I mean, that was, in, in as far as car count, that was the highlight of the entire weekend. I mean, you were the only class that had you know, anywhere near that many cars. And um, the pits on Friday night looked like what the pits used to look like decades ago at Oswego when, you know, you'd have the Supers and the Modifieds there on a Friday night just for practice for Classic Weekend. And, of course, you know, you get um, about probably half or so, maybe, you know, three-quarters of the field of each, and then the rest would come in for their particular, uh, you know, activities on Saturday because some of them couldn't get there for practice on Friday. But, I mean, it, that really was amazing. It was a great turnout, and I feel like this sport mod race could be built into a similar type of thing. Now, let me ask a, a naive question because I – I've never quite figured out um, all of the specifics of the differences between, say, a sport mod in New York and an SK-type modified in New England. I know there are differences, but is this going to be a race that perhaps the New England SK-type modifieds, which I know are really similar but yet somehow different, or at least they used to be many years ago, um, you know, are they going to be able to come in and run as well? Or is this basically, um, are there rules or different things that would sort of discourage that? How does that work? Well, right now we're currently working on a rules package for that race. And, okay. being, you know, being closer to now, you know, now being more essential based in, you know, New York for an event. Sure. And, and you know, the draw that the Connecticut teams love Oswego and stuff like that. So, you know, we're... We're trying. We're gonna. We're gonna try to include them really hard, but they had the distinct advantage over the sport mods in New York. Uh, Is it motor? Wanted, what's that? Is it motor that gives yeah, them the advantage? Motor, okay. Yeah, motor. Motor wise, they're just 
they just got a little bit more, and that, that helps them a lot. So, the North South Shootout in North Carolina, years and years and years ago, ran New York Sport Mods and SK Modifieds together. And, you know, the SKs would just wipe the floor with the Sport Mods every single year. And I'll, okay. I think the best, I best, I think the best New York card got maybe a fifth, maybe one year. I'm, I'm not quite certain, but I know it was, they got, you know, it was pretty one-sided every time with the SKs okay. just dom- dominating everything. So we're going to, we got to really try We're It's going to be tough. I want to say making the rules to where it can be very, you know, even for them and not just, you know, no, it's going to be more based on the New York guys, but we're good, definitely going to try to include everyone else as well. Well, I would think because I could honestly see that being a marquee race for the division. If you could find a way, whether it's, you know, with weight or whatever you you have to do, but find a way to make the cars as even as possible. You're obviously never going to make them. It's never going to be perfect. Obviously, I mean, you can't, you know, the East, East Coast, West Coast Supers used to fight that, too, when they would try to run a combined show. Somebody would, you know, they went back and forth about, well, you have, you know, more offset or you have, you know, lighter motors or whatever it all was. I can't even remember all that all that way back. But, um, you know, there always used to be this push and pull. I mean, obviously, everybody wanted things, you know, to their advantage, but... Um, but I think if there's a way that you could do it, I would think over time, if you, if you built the event, you know, this would be an event that would draw 30 or 40 cars. I mean, I, and I think it would put on, it it would be a great way to, to make the July 4th holiday unique for the speedway as well, because even with the supers and the other all of the different super modified classes they have there now to have one of the biggest, if not the biggest uh, show in the Northeast, if you could build it to that, to that end, uh, make it the biggest show in the Northeast every year for the, the sport mod slash SKs. Um, you know, I just think it would be amazing and it's a neutral track. So, you know, you run there once a year and that's it. So it's not like, anybody would have home track advantage you're just trying to make the different factions as even as possible yeah we're just that's that's i'm not saying that's the goal to build this up at the moment because my what the what the idea for all this is yeah. we got to get through the first we got to get through the first one well, we got to make you know oh it, if it goes good then i can i can definitely talk about you know 2021 but you know, yeah i just gotta get through that first event first so we'll, we'll see i hope I, I truly hope it you know goes off really well and i really hope the guys have fun because i i love them having fun i love my friends having fun i love them seeing them having them have a good time so you know you know i just hope it all works out for everyone you've been promoting for a little while now with the uh super stock race and you've been around it i mean you've been a racer you've been a You've been around it quite a bit. For the fans that are listening to this who have never promoted a show, can you kind of walk through what it actually takes? Because it's always funny to watch, you know, the Monday morning quarterbackers. And I'm not saying we have a bunch of them in our audience because I don't 
I, I actually think there's less in the super modified audience than in other divisions, but um, but there are the, the the few. But can you walk can you walk us through a little bit of of what it actually takes to to put on a show? Because I mean, I I believe you must have spent to to get forty seven cars and all those sponsors that you got and and build that show the way that you built it to come out of the box with what I would consider to be a home run show um, on Friday night, a classic weekend, you know, what, what does it take to, to put on a show like this at a, at a, at a track like a Swiggo? It's, see, not, you know, I say, oh, it's, you know, it's not, not really that much, but apparently people say it's quite a bit. <laughs> I've like, done you know, it, I, I know I've better. Gotten, I've gotten so used to it, it just doesn't face me anymore. Yeah. It's a, uh, Usually, so for me and how I work is about, I want to say, on Wednesday. On Wednesday, I already have an idea of what I want to do. The Wednesday after, you know, this, my dad's memorial race happens, I already have an idea for next year on what I want to kind of kind of try here, here and there. And then it just builds off of that. Then I get about maybe 20 more ideas and then I just, <laughs> bounce, I just bounce them off of, you know, bounce them off my friends. See if, you know, see what they say about them. You know, I ask here and there. I, I have a select few core guys. I just, you know, randomly, you know, ask questions to, and you know, and if they like it, I, I'm like pursue it. But if they think it's dumb and I'm like, eh, all right, then if they think it's dumb, but I like it, I, then I just say, well, forget you. I like it. So, we're gonna do it anyway. <laughs> I'm not gonna pay attention to what you say, but um, no, it's it's I don't, it almost starts a year now. It's gotten to the point where I I start. It's almost not like a never-ending thing. Yeah, for me, it really so, is. Yeah, it start started. What is, like I said, started on a Wednesday after the Memorial Race, and then keeps going. Then I start. Finding talking to sponsors like this year, I've start I started talking to them in October. Well, you have guess, to right because yeah, it's yeah. fourth quarter. That's when companies are making their decisions for the following year. So you got to get your bids in early. Yeah, fiscal year. I'm learning big words as an adult. Fiscal right. year. Yep. I I, I didn't yep. know. I I heard a fiscal year in a movie once before, and then all of a sudden I'm learning them now with businesses. Oh yeah, which is is a wonderful headache to have in my life because now I have to be quicker about stuff. So I have a slight procrastination problem. So it, you know, it just makes me work quicker. Exactly. <laughs> so, so we, you know, do that, you know, get that done. And while I'm, you know, talking to sponsors, I just start, you know, do. I open up my phone and I start doing just doodling on um on an app. Uh, I, I it's called PixArt. It's a free app if anyone wants to go get it. Oh, okay. And, and uh, and I just start doodling. I take photos. I I ask for I ask for permission first from the guys that take photos. I you know I get the photos and I just start messing around with them, trying new things, and you know diff, you know messing with photos. And you know I start making billboards or posters or whatever you want to call it. Then I and you know as the weeks go on, you know I I start building. You know start doing them, and then it just slowly continues more and more and more. And then every time I want to make a post about the race it has to be something different or like a build-up or a teaser right each time so like oh hey i got some news for you here it is you gotta wait till next week to find out. 
So like, <laughs> oh, I'm like, oh, darn, you know, the build up, and oh, now I got to wait till next week. Oh. So it just, it's constantly like that. And then throughout the summers, it's collecting, throughout the spring and summer, it's collecting the money, you know, promoting the race, bringing on, you know, promoting your sponsors, making sure they're getting their just due for everything. Uh, doing car shows, you know, meeting, you know, meeting drivers, talking to them, hopefully, you know, man, them, Hey man, got a big race coming. I know I annoyed you the 150, you know, 150 times right now, but I'm going to annoy you another 200 times just to make sure you know about the race and hopefully you can be there. Right. So, so you, you, you basically, you get it all going and then you have meetings on how the race is going to go and how it's going to get set up. And for me being the promoter, of, of my dad's memorial race, I just kind of say, oh, okay. And they asked me for input, and I'm like, well, I, I, yeah, I'm, I don't run, you know, NYSS runs my dad's race. You know, I, you know, I promote the race, and they, right. they run, the, they run the show for it. Right. So it's, it's so they look at me, and I'm like, that, that's, you know, if they, if they feel like they want to run it that way, that's okay. You know, we talk, we usually talk about it earlier, and if they make a change throughout, you know throughout the day, you know, sure. I, I really, it, it doesn't phase me because I, you know, I'm so used, used to, um, what is it? Changing on the fly or, you know, stuff happening. Yeah. You, know, you got to deal with improvisation. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm so used to that stuff. So it doesn't bother me if something, you know, something a little bit's changed right here and there. It's like, oh, oh, oh whatever. You can't do that. Cause you know, it's in the moment. You just got to deal with it. So, right. You know, you go through the meetings and then you just talk and then you, you have like about maybe 50 phone conversations before you know you know before that day before the event happens that week and then you know about three days before it no one wants to talk to each other because we all have to deal with each other on a very stressful day no yeah so no one so no one really talks much you know like three days prior it's like oh hey you got this oh yeah okay we're good and then that's it it's it's a very short like two-word conversation and a text and then we're good Well, but when you conceive an idea, even, I mean, you know, this race that we're talking about here um, is it's a brand new race. The the sport mod race, when you conceive an idea, obviously, at some point you get this vision for what you want to do. You got to call up the Oswego Speedway and say, hey, you know, this is what I'm thinking about. You want to do it? And sometimes that can be an interesting phone call in and of itself, right? Yeah, that too. <laughs> it's, if you're open to what, if you're opening to listening to me and the ideas I give, then I'm going to, you know, I'm, then I'm just going to keep, you know, keep coming after you. Sure. I'll, you know, until you tell me no, cause you know, I, you know, I don't know when to stop if you want to say, so I just I just keep going until you kind of say okay that's the limit and then you know I'll back down a bit but right. it's, it, you gotta you know I just keep coming in with ideas and if they like it I'll, I'll keep coming but if you like I said if you tell me no constantly then I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut and I'll just do the one thing I'm here to do and, right you know and then then you won't get any more ideas and you won't you know you won't get any help on it. but you know. The Asphalt Speedway themselves, I'm just amazing. I can't, you know, I I I send you know them texts throughout throughout the year, just thanking them. Still, <laughs> they 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 have been the best to work with. I mean, they just they encourage me to just 
keep on keeping on and you know it's it's cool it's really cool and they're 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 really awesome so well it's gotta be you know for the speedway itself obviously and i've been i don't know if i want to say blessed or cursed but i guess both in, in different ways to have been on all sides of this i mean i've promoted racetracks i've been involved with series and you know so i can identify with where you're coming from and where they're coming from and you know think about the things that are priorities for each of you and from the speedway side they're looking for difference they're looking for newness they're looking for things that can happen that can bring new people to their facility during the course of a season um and because that's they're in a money-making business and they want new fans and it's hard to reach new fans sometimes and i think we all know that the modified fan base the super modified fan base while each side probably has a fairly large group of its fans who appreciate the other type of car um you know not all of them do and so it's it's nice to be able to cross promote a little bit and having a marquee show for a division that doesn't normally get a lot of that is it to me is a great thing because you know both everybody wins the speedway gets a different division that comes in it's still local enough to bring a good bit of you know new fans to to the track and yet at the same time on the other side you know the 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 sport mod teams and businesses that are associated with that and and all the fans get a new show to go to so you know this is to me how you this is a win-win for everybody and i think to to me that's what it takes so i'm not really surprised that the speedway was so eager to kind of hear you out and and to try to work with you on this and and i think it's great um you know to me this is um this is the kind of show that the speedway needs you know about three times during the year you've got the the super stocks that come in for the classic you've got the sport mods and you know i feel like the more you, you need one or two more of those types of shows you can only have so many big super modified races during a season before all of them start diluting each other because you're supposed to be going for maximum impact so you know i remember again growing up we used to have like four double headers counting the classic that's that's it um you know you 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 don't want to um you know you don't want to overdo the longer shows um and i feel like oswego's got plenty of long super modified races now if not maybe one too many but certainly plenty of them and um now it's time to start seeing what other divisions you can bring in that can can help pump some some different energy once in a while and i think i certainly think this does that as the super stocks certainly did on on classic friday i mean that's a that's a tough that's a tough slot when when you you bring a show in and try to put it on classic weekend um you know the, the the track with its various only ownership groups over the years has tried just about every division there is on you know on classic or you know during the season at some point or other some work some don't but man um 
you know, the super stocks definitely worked on Friday night last year. And I feel like the sport mod show has a chance to be a big hit on the 4th of July every year. If you could just get, get this first one to work well, I'm curious what the drivers you've spoken with so far, uh, what are they saying about it? Uh, have you, have you had, are the majority of the drivers going, Hey, yeah, we're definitely going to come. I mean, what, what is the early line from the racers themselves on this? Talk, talk to quite a few guys got, and we talked to 16 teams at the parts peddler or it's now Northeast product trading show or whatever the right. is now. Yeah. Talked to 16 teams there and they're all jazzed, they're jazzed for it. They said they were, they were going and then I know I've spoken to about six to eight other ones, you know, via text saying, Oh yeah, they, they were interested to come, coming. So, you know, there's a lot of interest, you know, and it won't be, I won't really find you got, you're going to, we're going to have a good field. I, I know it. I, I feel it's going to happen. So it, we're going to have a good field. They're going to, they're all jazzed. They're very excited about coming back. I know, I know one guy that had just got back in the sport mods. He, he just came up, came up to me in, in the most, you know, almost looked like you, he, he, you wanted to cry a little bit. He, goes, <laughs> he, just, he just said, thank you. Thank you. And I'm like, thank you for what? He goes, thank you for bringing us back there. I love that track so much. That's awesome. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And and the, well, the best story I, I can I can tell you about, you know, telling, you know, getting talking to Pete, the drivers, and you know, yeah, was I want to say uh, it was Zach Curtin's father. Zach Curtin just won the championship at Shemont Smutero. Okay. So I I was going down, you know, I went down to his parents house to go pick up tires for the New York Superstock series because they run on a used tire program so I'm there picking up a lot of tires and stuff like that and his dad his dad never was first time he's ever met me and he goes oh you know who are you and I'm like oh I'm going to London I come on the day oh yeah I've heard of that race and you know then we got on a discussion about us we go and he just and he just kept saying you know he goes, man, I, I love that track. I, I miss I, I miss so much going there and stuff like that. And you could and you could really tell he really missed going sure. there. And I just looked at him and I'm like, Oh, don't worry, you'll be back. He goes, eh, I hope I'm like just save the day for July fourth and goes, Huh? I'm like, I'll see you on July fourth at Alice We go. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, like, it just so happens. <laughs> yeah. you you'll be there. Yeah. He goes, Are you sh- are you serious? I'm like, Yeah. He goes, oh, so you get that. There's a big hardcore group that loves Osprey a lot. Everyone Good. loves Osprey. You bring Good. them, a lot of the guys back, and now, now the kids that you know, now they're the parents that used, you know, our fathers and stuff like that that loved Osprey. Go, sure. they get to go back, and now the kids, us, are going there, and you know, us now, you know, a lot of the drivers now have kids, and they're going to bring their kids there to Osprey, and they're going to talk about, Dad, have you, you see those cars? You see all these sounds that are going on so it's it's pretty cool that's awesome well i'm happy to hear that there's been so much interest so far and like i said i i i believe 20 to 24 are you know that's i think that's very achievable and if you can bring a touring series in and put a full field on the racetrack first time out of the box you're doing good um you know and of course then the next thing is you hope that they put on great show uh oh, yeah. you know and and i believe they will and i think again the sport mods they're different 
than the tour type modifieds. I mean, they look similar and um, some of the drivers are similar or the same, um, but they're different. They handle different. They drive different. They'll run the track different, um, differently than the, the, their more powerful brothers do. Um, and so, you know, I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that, how that goes. I could, I could see with the the competition that I know is there in that class in New York state. If you kind of look at it as a whole, I could see the potential for some great racing that night. And, you know, those guys obviously are going to leave it all on the table because everybody's going to want to win a swiggo, just like what we saw with the super stock race. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, three that pulled up, uh, after the race, all three of them were just unbelievably excited just to have finished in the top three of the Swigo, and I think that's what you see with the Sport Mod guys too. Oh yeah, they're gonna they're gonna love it. You got you got a lot of strappers in the in the Sport Mod class, so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun to watch them because a lot of them, you know, they'll throw hail mary and, or just rain haymakers and try to make. Yeah. Try to make something happen in that race. It's going to be a good show. Well, that's awesome. Well, we, we're looking forward to it, man. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, as a, as a fan, um, you know, I'm obviously going to try and be there if I can. Um, but, uh, you know, if not, I'll find a way to watch it one way or another. Um, but as a, as a fan and someone who's really, excited about Oswego Speedway and, and has been for, well, since 1973. Um, and, and someone who also really enjoys the sport mod division, um, thank you for, for putting this together and for taking the initiative. I know how much work it is to promote a show. And, you know, I know the time that it takes. And, you know, you've you've been crafty, Jody. You've, you've found a couple of divisions that have a pretty good bunch of cars that don't necessarily other than maybe the race of champions don't necessarily have um a neutral signature race and you manage to uh to potentially create that you certainly have with your your dad's race and you know i know that you have obviously many reasons for promoting that show and that show is a bit of a personal show for you um but the sport mod race has the chance in my opinion to be just as big so you know and i'm i'm thankful that uh john and eric and and paul and <clears throat> excuse me and cam and and whoever you know else is involved at oswego on that on that decision making side are forward thinking enough chuck to um to be able to to say hey let's you know let's try this and see what happens because you know i think it's races like this that are going to help you know help the track to continue to evolve um, going forward into its next chapter here as the super division builds up a little bit and you know the 350 supers build up and I think the the uh, SPS class is going to rejuvenate itself nicely over the next year or two um, you know but I think it's races like this that make certain nights during the year unique again and I think that's what's that's been missing for a little while in my opinion um, so I think it's great, Jody, and I'm really excited for you. Um, and I hope that, uh, you know, everything works out the way you want it to. And of course, you know, that, that this show, um, while it certainly spends the majority of its time 
talking about supers because that's what I designed it for when I brought it back. Um, it's also about Oswego Speedway. And, you know, anything that's going to race at Oswego Speedway, this show is, is there for you. Um, if you have news, if you want to make an announcement, you know, you've got something that uh, you think is, is worth spending some time on, um, you have an open invitation anytime between now and, and July um, to, you know, to come back and and uh, tell us and keep us informed and tell us what's going on and we'll bring you back, um, you know, every so often between now and then just for the updates and get some drivers' names out there and start talking to even a couple of the, the top drivers to talk about the race and, and let our fans start to hear from them so they have some familiarity when they come to the track, they know, you know, here are some guys that, you know, that you can um, pay attention to. Awesome. Awesome. That is awesome. You guys, you guys are awesome. <laughs> well, you know, I really, really appreciate that. Yes. You know, you man, it's uh, we're, we're a team. You know, that's <laughs> I brought this show back. I mean, it's funny because I had, <laughs> I had a conversation with somebody about a week ago about um, who who's. Uh, from Oswego and, and has known me a long time and, and we got talking about my old show and, and you know I was a little huh I don't want to put this I I've always been a champion of causes and um in my younger days I probably wasn't as tactful as uh, <laughs> as I learned to be over the years I think when you get into this business that I'm in the media part of it I think when you first start you got to kind of learn how to you know how to do it right and um you know when i brought this show back um it was not the the one thing i said is i mean i'm not going to shy away from offering an opinion once in a while um because i think that you know that's just part of of good discourse and good discussion and i think it's yeah. okay to to disagree with something the speedway's doing as long as you're doing it in a way that promotes discussion and doesn't you know um, not sure that I always did the best job of that uh, in 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 my younger days, uh, and I'm not. You know, it's one of those it's one of those things where I stand behind everything I said, but maybe not always how I said it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but the point is, um, I brought this show back um, purposely to promote what was going on up there because, you know, it, the, the Eagle program is gone, sadly, and. Um, you know, there, uh, there aren't too many of us. Chris Porter does a great job of, uh, you know, of covering the speedway with his website, uh, up there. And, um, you know, there, there aren't many of us that, that cover it on a regular basis anymore. And so, um, you know, I love the opportunity to talk about what's going on there and I want to see, I want to see the track succeed. I want to see, uh, the teams and drivers succeed, and, uh, you know, anybody as young and ambitious as you who would who would be able to, to be capable of pulling off what you did on Friday, a classic weekend last year um, as a promoter, uh, you know, I we, we need to uh, we obviously need to support you as well. So, um, again, I'm sure that uh, there will be a great turnout that night of cars and drivers and I hope there will be a bigger, an even bigger turnout of fans because uh, the more fans that are there, obviously the uh, the more your guys are going to enjoy it, and the more it's just going to spur 
you know, I I would love to see you be able to come up with a formula that works for New England because if you could somehow do that and get some of the New England guys there, well, shoot, um, you know, I I could see a day two or three years down the road. You gotta, you know how it works. You kind of gotta if you do it right the first couple times, you want you get people. Oh, I want to go be a part of that because that was good. Um, yeah, and I think. Uh, you know, I think you could see 60 super stocks at Classic Weekend this year because of the show that they put on this this first year. Um, and I'm all about that. I mean, I would love to 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 see, you know, uh, again, the more the merrier and, you know, make it big and make it special and, um, you know, help everybody to have a good time. And, you know, uh, so, again, thanks for uh, taking the initiative to do this. And uh, we certainly wish you all the best with uh the sport mods show on july the 4th do you have a do you have a working name for it yet or has that not even it's the xmr sportsman modified event and xmr stands for extra money race okay so 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 that's how that moniker came about okay so uh xmr are we calling it a grand prix or are we calling it a classic or what are we calling no it's just the xmr sportsman modified event no okay well that that pretty much try to keep it it simple (laughs) trying to keep it simple at the moment yeah exactly well and i love that you came up with an acronym that that us media types can't poke fun of um yeah you know i i i i I was disappointed when uh gander uh changed the name of the truck series for 2020 away from gander outdoors truck series because um, it you know we used to have a blast with the NGOTS uh, acronym. <laughs> I guess they, we, we got the GOT series here, guys. Yeah, the NGOTS is uh, NGOTS is racing this weekend. We and GOTS a truck race, so uh, it's now <laughs> I think the uh, NASCAR Ganders RV and out RV outdoor RV and outdoors truck series. So you can't you know it, it took took our fun away, but that's okay. We we had a good time while it lasted. Jody, thanks for for taking some time to to come on with us i know that uh you're already um down the road with this and starting to to put things together and again um anytime you've got news and feel free to let all of your teams and everybody else know uh that uh, this show is going to be a place for you to to share so anytime uh you have news to announce let us know and we'll get you back on we'll talk about it Definitely. I really appreciate this, man. That is Jody London, and we will be back with more Inside Groove right after this. HMS Motorsport is the leader in motorsport safety. HMS serves a majority of NASCAR, IndyCar, and IMSA WeatherTech teams, as well as countless SCCA and club-level racers and driving enthusiasts throughout North America. Featuring world-renowned brands like Schubert Helmets, Schroep Belts, Adidas Suits and Shoes, Lero Fireproof Underwear, Lifeline Fire Systems, and even Racecom Radio Kits, HMS has the right product for your type of racing and your budget. Their representatives are experts on making your track driving as safe as possible. With locations in Mooresville, North Carolina, and Danvers, Massachusetts, the staff at HMS is always ready to take the time and help you find the right product for your specific safety needs. You have family and friends who care about you, so don't settle for second when it comes to motorsport safety. Just stop in to HMS Motorsport, visit them on their website at hmsmotorsport.com, or send them a message on Facebook. Tell them the folks from Race Chaser Media set you. 
Welcome back to Inside Groove as we get ready to close up this pre-Christmas edition. We hope you've enjoyed this extra long show. We've had a lot of fun putting it together. And as I conclude the show from the road in Oswego, New York, um, very happy to have been with you for uh, this year to kind of bring back some of the history of super modified racing and also to uh, highlight the current events that are going on both at Oswego and throughout the super modified division. And we are looking forward to a spectacular 2020. We have a bunch more drivers to get to over this off season. And of course, looking forward to what the 2020 season will bring to the fast five eighths of a mile and throughout the super modified division as well. My name is Tom Baker. Thank you so much to the folks from JNS Paving, Skips Fish Fry, and of course, IPC Indy. Indy Performance Composites, our title sponsor for all of their generosity and their support. And thanks to all of you for listening. Have a Merry Christmas, everybody. Be safe, enjoy family, and just remember that there is nothing more precious than family and great friends. And that's what Super Modified Racing is all about. Until next time, I'm Tom Baker. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliate, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.